Welcome to The Scientist Speaks, a podcast produced by the Scientist Creative Services team. Our podcast is by scientists and for scientists. Once a month, we bring you the stories behind newsworthy molecular biology research. This episode is brought to you by Isoplexus, Denovix, BioRad, and Acrobiosystems. Isoplexus is a life science technology company that accelerates the development of curative medicines and precision therapeutics. Their award-winning single-cell proteomic systems reveal unique biological activity in small subsets of cells, allowing researchers to connect more directly to in vivo biology and develop more precise therapies. Denovix Incorporated develops, manufactures, and sells award-winning laboratory equipment for life science applications. Their standalone systems include DS11 series 1 microliter UV vis spectrometers, fluorometers, and cell drop automated cell counters for cell counting without slides. BioRad offers unrivaled precision and absolute quantification of target RNA and DNA molecules. Their unique droplet digital PCR technology partitions samples into thousands of microfluidic droplet test tubes, providing extremely sensitive and accurate digital answers for life science research, clinical diagnostics, as well as environmental monitoring and food safety testing. Acrobiosystems is a leading manufacturer of recombinant proteins and other critical reagents to support the development of biomedicine, especially cell therapy for antibody drugs. They developed a comprehensive series of more than 50 CAR-T target proteins, including solid and blood tumor targets that are specifically designed for the evaluation of CAR expression. Cancers are diverse and adaptable. That is why a staggering 97% of cancer drugs in clinical trials fail to receive FDA approval. Researchers try to stay one step ahead of cancer by studying the mechanisms that lead to drug resistance, finding new drug targets, and developing novel therapies such as immunotherapeutics. In this episode, narrated by Nikki Spach, Sejal Davla from the Scientist Creative Services team spoke with Jason Sultzer, an assistant professor in the Department of Genomics, Genetics, and Epigenomics and Yale Cancer Center at the Yale School of Medicine about his work on drug resistance, chromosomal instability in cancer cells, and approaches to identify new treatment strategies. To develop new targeted therapies for cancer, researchers often first identify genetic changes and pathways that help tumors grow and survive. Once they find these key determinants, approaches such as blocking growth pathways with drugs or attacking cancer cells with immune therapies lead to the development of new treatments. Both strategies could alleviate cancer symptoms and prolong patients' lives. To identify promising therapeutic candidates, researchers typically screen compounds in tissue culture to assess their effect on cancer cells. While convenient and cost-effective, this strategy does not recapitulate a patient's tumor microenvironment, as cells grown in vitro lack features present in vivo, including cellular heterogeneity, vasculature, and an immune system. This leads to a poor understanding of a candidate drug's true mechanism of action. We're trying to reach this goal of precision medicine where we give patients specific therapies based on the genetic makeup of their tumor to reach that plateau, we want to have a good understanding of the specific mechanisms of action of targeted cancer therapies. In clinical trials, the most common proximate causes of oncology drug failure are bad safety profiles and limited efficacy. 
that is a drug may prove to not be safe enough for patients to take. It has too many side effects. It causes dangerous toxic consequences on one hand. And then on the other hand, many drugs display limited efficacy. That is, patients take them, but it doesn't actually result in tumor shrinkage. It doesn't prolong survival. One of the reasons why so many drugs turn out to be toxic or turn out to have limited efficacy is that a number of drugs were actually designed to target proteins that have no significant role in tumor growth. And these drugs are only killing cancer cells through off-target effects. They were designed to kill cancer cells by inhibiting protein A or protein X, but their actual activity comes through the inhibition of protein C, D, E, F, G, and so on. When you have that disconnect between the reported mechanism of action and the actual mechanism of action, I think that increases the likelihood that these drugs may be prescribed to the wrong patients, given to the wrong tumor types, and they're not used in the correct mechanism. The gold standard in knowing what a cancer drug does and proving its mechanism of action is the identification of mutations that grant resistance to that compound. The classic examples are the mutations in the BCR able kinase that confer resistance to the leukemia drug Gleevec. You can identify point mutations in BCR able, which block the binding of the Gleevec drug to the BCR able protein. And when those point mutations arise in patients, then the patient's cancers no longer respond to the drug. That is the most precise genetic evidence that you can get to prove the mechanism of a particular therapy. Several techniques help researchers identify genes that drive cancer progression and understand the mechanisms and targets of candidate cancer drugs. Seltzer believes that CRISPR gene editing is a particularly powerful tool in cancer research. For example, researchers can make mutant cell libraries using CRISPR and screen for mutants that no longer respond to a cancer drug. By identifying genetic changes that cause a compound to lose its efficacy, researchers can determine that drug's target. Researchers can also use CRISPR to specifically mutate a supposedly known drug target and assess whether that gene's product is truly involved in the drug's mechanism of action. We studied a small molecule drug called OTS-964. It had been developed as an inhibitor of a cancer-related protein called PBK. However, using a combination of computational and genomic techniques, we demonstrated that it wasn't actually functioning through PBK inhibition. Using CRISPR, we could delete PBK, the putative target of this small molecule compound, and the small molecule compound still killed the cells that totally lacked its reported target. That suggested to us that this drug must be doing something else in the cell, something that was independent of PBK. So to try and figure out what this drug was actually targeting, we conducted a mutagenesis screen where we isolated highly mutagenized cancer cells that had developed resistance to this small molecule compound, OTS-964. If there are some cells out there that are resistant to this drug, maybe they developed resistance by acquiring point mutations in whatever this drug targeted. So we took these cells that were resistant to OTS-964, we sequenced them, and we found that every resistant cell that we looked at had a mutation in the same protein, in the kinase domain of the cyclin-dependent kinase CDK11B. 
that immediately suggested to us a possible mechanism that this drug could be working through. This drug could be functioning not as a PBK inhibitor like it was reported to be. It could actually be functioning as a CDK11 inhibitor. And these point mutations in the CDK11 kinase domain could be blocking the drug-protein interaction leading to drug resistance. We did a number of genetic and biochemical follow-up studies that confirmed that, in fact, this drug was functioning as a CDK11 inhibitor, which was very exciting to us because this is the first selective CDK11 inhibitor that's ever been reported. Despite advances in chemotherapy and immunotherapy, cancer treatment failure remains a major problem. In early stages of drug discovery, a successful candidate drug initially kills 95 to 99% of cancer cells in in vitro experiments. However, cancer cells undergo intense selective pressure for proliferation and survival, and they display high mutation, chromosomal degradation, and mitotic recombination rates. Therefore, a cancer cell's genome is always changing, which directly contributes to drug resistance in the lab and in patients. Mutations that block the interaction between a drug and its molecular target are a common cause of therapeutic resistance and researchers are discovering new and diverse cellular pathways that lead to that resistance. When you're conducting screens to uncover how a cancer becomes resistant to a therapy of interest, you can do it multiple times and then look for the shared genetic changes. By having multiple independent experiments or clones or cell lines, the changes that are shared across multiple independent experiments are likely to be the important ones and the changes that aren't shared are more likely to be biological noise or biological artifacts. That's one of the ways that we've approached separating the hits from the noise when it comes to understanding drug resistance mechanisms. From a clinical perspective, in the context of point mutations that arise in drug targets in cancer, many of these that arise in a kinase or a protein that's targeted by a small molecule drug change the structure of that protein. They alter the binding pocket. They create other stereochemical interactions. When you change the binding pocket or create a different binding pocket, it becomes possible that you could design a second therapy or a tertiary therapy for a small molecule that can fit into the initially drug-resistant binding pocket it's possible to develop second and third generation drugs that target these particular resistance-granting mutations. Seltzer is additionally interested in the role of genomic instability in tumor development and drug resistance. In particular, he studies chromosomal instability, where whole chromosomes missegregate, leading to aneuploid cells that have the wrong number of chromosomes. Aneuploidy is exceptionally common in cancer. About 90% of all cancers display some degree of whole chromosome aneuploidy. Different tumors have different evolutionary tracks. Many cancers start off with low-level aneuploidy by gaining or losing a few chromosomes. Cancers then undergo a whole genome duplication where they double their chromosomes Following this whole genome duplication, they undergo reductive mitoses where they missegregate certain chromosomes and wind up with a highly aneuploid karyotype towards the end of tumor development. We've done some work using different cytotoxic and targeted therapies where we've discovered that drug-resistant cancer cells 
acquire not single gene changes, not single amino acid substitutions, but whole chromosome copy number changes. They gain and lose certain chromosomes, and those chromosomal changes drive drug resistance. That was a very unexpected finding in our lab, and it's something we're working to characterize in greater detail. There are many examples of cancer cells harboring aneuploidies. For instance, researchers found that cancer drug-resistant populations of the human ovarian cancer cell line HeLa acquired additional copies of chromosome 5. And a gain of chromosome ARM20Q is associated with shorter survival times in patients with endometrial cancer. To study aneuploidian cancer, Seltzer treated cancer cells with a small molecule inhibitor of a spindle checkpoint kinase. Inhibiting this protein interferes with mitosis and leads to chromosomal instability. Inducing aneuploidy in non-resistant cancer cells was sufficient to suddenly make them drug-resistant. In another study, Seltzer found that chromosomal instability is a good predictor of poor therapeutic responses to cancer drugs and patient mortality. Therefore, aneuploidy could be used as a biomarker in certain cancer types to differentiate patients with untreatable and aggressive cancers. We've looked at the association between different genetic features and cancer patient outcomes. And one thing that we found, which was initially surprising to us, is that there are a lot of established driver mutations in cancer where the presence of these mutations isn't actually associated with cancer patient outcomes. KRAS mutations undoubtedly cause lung cancer development. But if you look in very large patient cohorts, the association between the presence of KRAS mutations and lung cancer outcomes is not very strong at all. We think that is because there's a lot of other mutations that cause lung cancer, ALK mutations, ROS1 mutations, PI3 kinase mutations, and so on. And these can all drive lung tumor genesis such that a mutation in any one by itself is not strongly prognostic. On the other hand, when we've analyzed these same large data sets, we found that highly aneuploid tumors generally are the most metastatic and have the worst prognosis, independent of what sort of mutations they're carrying. This was a very surprising finding to us. I don't think we have a good mechanistic understanding of it yet, but there is a lot of potential for the use of aneuploidy as a clinical biomarker in cancer. Aneuploidy can also be a predictor of drug treatment efficacy. Immunotherapy, using a patient's own immune response to target and kill cancer cells, is a promising strategy to combat tumors. However, these treatments are only effective in a subset of patients. Researchers searching for biomarkers that predict immunotherapy efficacy found that highly aneuploid tumors belonging to multiple cancer types have reduced expression of infiltrating cytotoxic immune cell markers and increased expression of cell proliferation markers. These cellular changes appear to cause immune evasion due to a lack of immune cell infiltration into tumors. Patients that had a poor response to immune checkpoint blockade therapy, a treatment that should boost the anti-cancer immune response, also had elevated levels of tumor aneuploidy and other more minor copy number alterations. For several decades, researchers hoping to find new cancer drugs primarily hunted for mutations in genes essential for cancer proliferation. However, tumors harbor a large number of interesting mutations that are not essential for cancer progression, as they do not impact cell growth. Seltzer thinks these non-essential mutations can be used to develop new cancer therapies. In contrast to mutations that lead to drug resistance or aneuploidy that leads to immunotherapy failure, 
Non-essential cancer mutations often generate highly immunogenic neoantigens, altered proteins that are not present in normal, healthy cells. These neoantigens are recognized by the immune system as foreign and activate cytotoxic and helper T cells that infiltrate and kill tumors. Mutations that arise in cancer cells but that are non-essential and that don't contribute to cancer growth make very enticing targets for immunotherapy. Any mutation has the potential of creating a neoantigen that would be some protein fragment that could be recognized by the immune system as foreign. There are currently efforts underway to design tumor-specific vaccines and other immunotherapies to promote the immune-mediated destruction of cancers based on these random mutations that are non-essential for cancer growth. That is a very promising direction that immunotherapy and cancer can move in the future. From identifying genomic instability as a mechanism of chemotherapy resistance and a contributor to ineffective immunotherapies, to using CRISPR to identify drug targets and understand drug mechanisms, Seltzer hopes to ultimately understand the complex genetic alterations that occur during tumor genesis, identify new therapeutic agents, and improve the characterization of cancer drugs. Thank you for listening to The Scientist Speaks. This episode was produced by the Creative Services team for The Scientist and narrated by Nikki Spodge. And thank you to Isoplexus, Denovix, BioRad, and Acrobiosystems for sponsoring this episode. Please join us next month as we learn about ancient secrets of disease spread. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.